Oh my god, my bag. I can't laugh. Okay. That's, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I, I know. Well, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode 22, Futility. Futility. Also, Gabe got a dog, you guys. Mm-hmm. She got a little puppy. I have received 9,426 photos and videos as if she <laughs> just gave natural birth to him. I did. <laughs> He's my son. I feel I have some guilt because of Marty, but I think that's normal. 100%. And we're just hanging out. He's pretty chill. He's sitting on my desk, curled up in a little bed. He's super cute and he has these itty bitty little eyebrows. Oh, okay. Let's let's go. Do it. All right. Opening scene. There's a group of people. They're fucking playing poker in an apartment. I'm immediately pissed because okay. this dialogue is not lining up with what they're doing. Don't say that you're playing Texas Hold'em and then obviously not play that. It is such an easy fucking thing to avoid. There's not one person on that set who knew how to stage one of the most popular kinds of poker. It is so fucking stupid. I was so angry and it was like half a second into the episode. Oh, let's play Texas Hold'em. Whoop! I got four nines. Like it was fucking so dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even notice. Ugh. I don't play poker. Texas Hold'em is my favorite kind of poker. It is the most popular kind of poker. Mm-hmm. And if you know the tiniest bit at all about poker at all in its entirety, you would know that that's not what they were doing. And it's stupid. I didn't even know that there were different types of poker. Mm, there are. Mm. Do you want me to they talk been, about them? They could be playing <laughs> Go Fish. I wouldn't have been like, oh, <laughs> you got the granny or whatever the fuck. <laughs> that's old <laughs> maid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the dudes is the kid from The NeverEnding Story. Fucking, what's his name? Fred Savage. The NeverEnding Story? He was in that? Yeah, he was a little kid that they were reading, the guy was reading to. Honey, that is The Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything else he was in. I was like, what's the one with the monster under his bed with the earrings? Oh, yeah. Little monsters. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't refer to him by his name at all through this entire thing. I just keep referencing different things that he was in. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like, don't even drag us in this moment for not going into what a piece of shit Fred Savage is because we're going to get there. So their wives are there and they're flirting and blah, blah, blah. And they're waiting on their food to get delivered. The intercom goes off at the door. Fred Savage goes to answer the intercom, but the sound is like all messed up and choppy and he can't hear what the person is saying. So he goes downstairs. I love that his wife yelled, don't forget to tip him. <laughs> it's like people should always do that. Right. When he gets down, the food's in the middle of the sidewalk and no one's around. He walks over to the bag and there's a fucking hundred dollar bill and it's hopping away from him on a string. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So obviously pretty much. (laughs) He's immediately arrested by SVU. Fucking Stabler's got a gun on him. His name is Michael Gardner. Benson has him up against the wall with his hands behind his back. His name is Michael Gardner. Benson tells him that he's being arrested for rape and he turns around and fucking sandbag punches her right in the face. Hard. It was a that sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stabler and Toots restrain him. Benson's okay, but has a bloody mouth and she looks like a badass. Yeah. His wife comes downstairs and sees Michael being fucking arrested. She's like, what's going on? And he's like, your fucking husband raped four women. And then Toots is like, dinner's here. It's on NYPD. Okay, so now we're in the precinct. Michael's being interviewed by Stabler, Cabot, and Toots. His lawyer is also present. Michael apologizes for punching Benson. Michael's lawyer wants to know how her client got hurt on the way to the precinct. And Cabot's like, um, 
I don't know how and like side eyes the fucking gang <laughs> and Toots is like, uh, he fell. <laughs> and she's like, bullshit. No, actually, she, she just says bull. <laughs> Cabot tells her to move on from this shit or she'll add assaulting Benson to Michael's list of charges. Michael denies raping the women, but his prints were found at a scene two blocks from his house, of course, all the way in Jersey, two blocks from his two house. Two blocks away <laughs> on the edge of town from any place. <laughs> On the outskirts of Mordor. <laughs> Which is two blocks from uh, Manhattan. It's also two blocks for me. It's two blocks for you, too. Oh, my God. There it um, is. I can, I can see it on a clear day. Just drop the ring. It's all you got to do. I know it's hard. <laughs> Death, do it. Okay. I didn't get it, but I liked being a part of it. <laughs> it was from Lord of the Rings. I know that it was. <laughs> His lawyer is pissed because the one print is from a bar fight like 10 years ago. Or something. Michael says he walks his dog all over that hood all the time and probably has prints on every single building in the two block radius. Did you say all over that hood? We're just going to move on. Did I say hood? <laughs> yeah. I did. He walks his dog all over that hood. Oh, God. <laughs> the island of Arufa. <laughs> Michael's lawyer calls the detectives lazy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cabot shows a picture from one of the victims and the marks are what Toots calls Michael's calling card, choking them and then cutting their breasts. But they don't really have much on this dude besides like this fingerprint from 10 years ago. Right. But what they do have is a description from one of his victims who pretended to be unconscious when he cut her, which I don't know how she did that. Mm-mm. Not flinch or anything. Okay. Yeah. Dude's lawyer is like, you know what? That's it. We're out of here. If you had a victim, he'd already be in a lineup. And Cabot says, actually, she's right. That's your next stop. Ooh. <laughs> so Michael is taken to a lineup. Still in the precinct. Benson goes to get Carrie. She's the one who survived the assault. She's also not Dharma from Dharma and Greg, but she totally is. Oh, my God. Yeah. I looked her up because I'm like, oh, you have to be a person I know. And I don't recognize her from anything. But somebody probably does. And they're going to post about how they can't believe I didn't talk about it. <laughs> I have set myself up for this. That like that's that expectation of me. But I'm still like always disappointed when I missed something. Mm. You guys. <laughs> Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're still in the precinct. Benson goes to get Carrie. She's the one who pretended to be unconscious. Mm -hmm. She is waiting to identify her attacker in the lineup. Carrie's also with her rape crisis counselor, Bethany. Carrie's crying and doesn't think that she got a good enough look to be able to identify him in a lineup. She's understandably shaken the fuck up. She's scared of picking the wrong person and the attacker getting away. So she's about to back out. And Bethany's like, yep, you're only responsible for yourself. Benson tries to persuade her and tells her to forget about the lineup for a second. Benson just wants to see how good Carrie's memory is. But Carrie doesn't want to have to relive her trauma, which she hasn't even told her fiance about. Benson gets Carrie to kind of calm down a little bit, just enough to describe her attacker's appearance. Yeah, she's like, I don't know, he kind of looked exactly like kevin arnold from the wonder years you know (laughs) the one that they tried to make us believe that winnie fucking cooper would go for right no sorry winnie would never she would Um, never and she didn't yeah she's like i don't really know what he looked like he had dark wavy hair dark eyebrows dark eyes scar above his eyebrow and he got in a white truck Um, i'm like you fucking remember a lot dude (laughs) and good for her and it's also totally normal if she didn't you know Correct. Benson tells Carrie that Bethany, the rape crisis counselor, can go with her while she does a lineup. But Benson is just going to go and talk to Bethany outside for a second. Mm-hmm. Benny and Bethany step out now so that Benson can tell her how crucial Carrie's ID is. And mm-hmm. Bethany fucking knows how to be in the room without fucking with
with the investigation. Yeah, everything is riding on this fucking... Right. The whole case is all about her being able to ID Michael. That's the only thing they really have. I mean, they have that fingerprint, but getting her ID would really clinch them being able to move forward with it, right? Mm -hmm. And Bethany's like, yeah, I fucking get it. I'm very good at my job. Bethany is incredible throughout this entire thing, and I'm obsessed with her, and I love her and her integrity, Mm -hmm. and she's awesome. But Benson's just like doing that. She's chomping at the bit to get this guy and doesn't want anything to fuck it up. It's like, like when I call you and tell you, don't say anything, but dot, dot, dot. And you immediately go, I know that you have to say that to me, but you don't have to say that to me because, you know, I'm actually not going to say anything. But yes, I understand why you have to say that to me. And you just know it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. And then we're like four minutes into the episode. And then here I wrote, I can see already that with the little evidence, the cop roughing him up, the rape crisis center lady being in the room is going to go in the way of Michael getting released for mishandling the case. It's fucking four minutes into the episode. So this is going to be like a long legal episode. It's going to be all court stuff. Yeah. And we're all going to... um. We're all going to hate the ending <laughs> that I wrote. <laughs> See, I get so wrapped up in like the, I forget to do the predicting stuff, which I don't necessarily have to do. Like you're doing it enough for all of us, but I'm just watching it going. Should I not? No, you go ahead and do No, that's what you, okay. that's what you do. And you're very accurate most of the time. I am just watching going, yeah, we all want to string this guy up by his fucking sack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just, I'm all emotion. Just then, we see Toots take the little kid from the Princess Bride to join in the lineup. (laughs) Fred Savage. Before he goes in the room, he does this look over and sees Benson and Bethany talking. Mm -hmm. And they look over at him and they do like a close up of his face. And I was like, okay. (laughs) See, to me, I just saw that as (gasps) drama. I did too. I had to go back and put that in there. Yeah. But after... You know, the whole thing later. Well, because I'm like, I'm watching it going, okay, Benny's looking at him like, yeah, you fucking better watch out, buddy, because I'm going to sack lunch bunch punch you right back in the face, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cabot, Benson, and Michael's lawyer are in the room with Carrie. So much early aughts flat iron hair flipping happening here. And Dude. I'm fucking here for it. 100%. I did it too. Yep. I, th- I remember the first time I saw somebody with it. It was this girl that I worked with at a daycare. And I was like, oh. She looks amazing. So yeah, Brian from Little Monsters, uh, his lawyer is already implying shit's not fair by saying to Cabot, want me to leave the room so you can tell her who to pick? (laughs) Yeah, she's been a real bitch already. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, that's that's her job. Carrie easily identifies Michael as her attacker. And the lawyer's super upset because she's like, is this the only victim who's going to do an ID today? You're saying that there's four Mm -hmm. of them and she's the only one here. And they're like, yeah. She goes, well, I'm going to bring that up in court. Harumph. Goodbye. And they leave. Mm-hmm. They all lived in his neighborhood. Uh, you know, Carrie could have easily seen him somewhere and gotten confused. Mm-hmm. So Benson runs up to the crib in the precinct. Turns out all the gals are there. It's not the crib. But yes, it was. The crib is where they sleep. Well, then what did they call that? Where the couch and the like hangout area is? Um, I, she said apartment. So I said up in the precinct apartment. The crib is the beds, the bedroom. Okay. Up in the precinct family room, up in the precinct sitting area, up in the precinct HR office, up in the precinct break room. There's stockings over the mantle. <laughs> I was going to say they have a Christmas tree. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh. I had to laugh like that because it hurt. I know. I can. <laughs> oh. On oh, oh. Oh. Dasher. On Dancer. <laughs> uh, okay. So. 
up in the not the crib but other area of the precinct that people don't go other than people that work there benson tells carrie and the three other women that survived their attacks that michael is being booked benson gives them an overview of what happens next and tells them that they'll all need to testify again with him in the courtroom like the shit's gonna be mm -hmm. tough all of these women live near this guy or each other and all got super nervous that he's gonna make bail and come out and find them right this this whole thing is so enraging because i know they can file an order of protection, but their addresses will be on that order of protection so that he knows where he's not allowed to go, but in turn gives him all of their locations. And they're not allowed to know where he lives, okay? It's totally fucked. I mean, he raped them and probably already knows where they live anyways. I mean, some of that, well, some of them he didn't because in like the next couple scenes. Oh yeah, he, that's right. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't attack all of them outside their home. I think he only attacked one of them actually outside their home. So everybody else, he's getting like new info. You know, their work addresses, their home addresses, all that shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. So one of the women was like, oh my God, fine. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to get the order of protection. And then the rest hopped on board. Yeah. It's just a shitty situation to have to be in in general. I know. Now the squad's going over all the case details. Michael's wife paid his bail and he was released, but all of the women are granted these orders of protection. Mm -hmm. So now that they've got this positive ID, Craig and wants the other cases gone over again in more detail. The other three cases of the women, mm -hmm. they all live in different areas, two on the Upper West Side, one in Midtown, and one in Soho. It's possible that the white truck Carrie mentioned isn't even Michael's. He doesn't have a car registered to him in New York, and no one else has seen him drive it. Well, his wife doesn't have a car in New York either. Right. Benson gets a call in the middle of all this. It's Carrie, and she's freaking out. This fucking dude followed her into a coffee shop. So they're kind of thinking that he's, like, doing recon before attacking. Like, he's on his shit. Yeah, or, like, just trying to intimidate them. And he's been out for, like, two fucking hours, and he's already doing shit. Mm -hmm. I wrote, I bet you he'll use the whole thing, like, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. God. Now we're at Nice Perks Coffee Shop. Nice Perks. Like, Central Perks. Or whatever the fuck from Friends. <laughs> right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, but just the way you said Central it, perk. you're like, yeah, like Central Perk, like, you know, from Friends. Like, yeah, it was one of the biggest <laughs> shows of the 90s. <laughs> you know, uh, from Friends. You ever heard of it? It's like a Ross um, and Rachel situation. Ross and Rachel were two characters on this show in the 90s called Friends. <laughs> By the time Benson and Stabler got there, Michael left. Benson has Carrie go back over what happened. Carrie said she walked in and that he was just standing in line. Then he smiled and said hello. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Michael was already in the coffee shop when she got there? Carrie thinks he knew where she was going to be. This isn't working out, you know? No. In the precinct, Cabot can't do anything. She agrees with Benson that it, this probably isn't a coincidence, but it isn't enough to qualify as a violation because Carrie went into a place Michael was already at. First of all, oh, I hate this. I love that th these women were already like, yeah, that probably wasn't a coincidence. This kind of guy will set this up to be in that like that way. But a stupid man. Sorry, Craigan. Hey, maybe it is a coincidence. And mm -hmm. Huang like, fucking mm -hmm. trash can slam dunks <laughs> half a hoagie and goes, doubt it. <laughs> he said that's so hard. Yeah. Thank you, Huang. Stapler thinks Michael was stalking her. Cabot says that Michael's lawyer will argue that they live in the same neighborhood, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But Huang agrees that the dude is stalking Carrie and calls him a power reassurance rapist. Basically, dude looks good on the outside, meticulous, has access to sex with his wife, but rapes because he's insecure about his manhood. And then I'm like, fucking men in society. <sighs> 
When's the last time you've ever heard someone say she murdered him because she was insecure with her femininity? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's fucking insane. Like, why is that? I mean, I don't want to make it an excuse for like we're we're allowed to not be insecure with our femininity. But um, feminine femininity is also looked down upon. So if you're a male, you know, and you don't to to be like a woman is the worst thing you can be. And and right. Not being manly or masculine makes you. But like I'm going to double down on that. I'm not saying like, well. I mean, it's kind of fine because, you know, society. No, I know. But it's like, you know, no, you're saying. right. You're right. Just don't yeah. commit the crime. Go to therapy. Go to therapy. Mm. I don't go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, this dude like looks good on the outside. He's meticulous. Blah, blah, blah. Manhood. Blah, blah, blah. Then Wong says that cutting their breasts is like marking them. So he like owns them for the rest of their lives. Michael fucking decked Benny because she took the power away. And now he wants it back by terrorizing his victims into not testifying. Plus he gets a boner from it. Ugh. And then I wrote 10 bucks. His wife kills him in the end. I thought for sure that was going to happen. Like she's barely there. And then she's like, all of a sudden she's like, I couldn't take it anymore. I found something, you know. Well, that's an interesting theory. Yeah. Kragen says there's no money or manpower enough to have the victims in protective custody or have eyes on all four of them all day, which I think is okay. That's the first, but they'll just need to warn the women. That's all they can do and hope that Michael stays away from them. Which Fingers crossed. Yeah. That this serial rapist will do what we're asking. Maybe if we tell him to follow the law. <laughs> right. So now we're at the apartment of Karen Layton. She's one of the victims. Benson and Stabler go to warn her about Michael being out of jail. They're talking to her through the doorway, and you can hear her kid call her. And I'm like, oh my God, this fucking woman. Um, Benson asks her if there is somewhere that she can stay, and Karen's fucking pissed, obviously, and says she has no family and no friends of hers can put her up plus her kid. Mm-hmm. And is she supposed to pull him out of school? Karen says, maybe I should just quit my job and lock myself in my house all day. Benson says, I know this is difficult, but... And then Karen cuts her off, and she's like, you know nothing, and shuts the door in their faces. Benny and Stabes go to leave and they're like, oh God, and they see fucking Michael across the street and he like dips down behind a car. They fucking run over to him. Benson's got her gun drawn. Michael's like, what? What do you do? Hey guys. He's like, I'm just walking my fucking cute, tiny little golden retriever puppy. Sweet, precious, brand new, fluffy as shit, little golden retriever puppy. Yeah. And he's like, what's wrong? And I wrote, lies he gets arrested and the cutie little dog starts crying and fucking stabler is like he grabs the puppy and i was like munch is gonna love this (laughs) yeah stabler tries to act all hard when he picks up the puppy like oh look at now what i have to deal with and he goes to turn around and he's like (laughs) okay so at the arraignment the charges are intimidating a victim in the third degree menacing oh wait hold on what there's a dude reading the charges and he is definitely part of the people who look like animals You know, in SVU, I want to say turtle, but I don't think that's it. I think he's maybe the crabby rabbit from Winnie the Pooh. I think we always say turtle and I literally use the rabbit. I think you did. our woodland creatures are limited. One, because when a white man is of a certain age, he's either a turtle, a mole or a rabbit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we just need to like realize that we're going to break them up into those categories. every Or time. a walrus. Or a walrus. Right. That's a yeah, that's a um, a form of mole, I believe. Well, that's judge specific. No. No. No, I'm not saying in in oh. the wilderness. I thought you were like because like, like mole plus they're in the same species. They're the same species. <laughs> no. I meant like in the in the, the cartoon yeah. slash in universe, universe yeah. I'm like mole plus mustache equals walrus. I don't think that moles and a walry are in the same Oh my god. <laughs> and I also don't think walry is plural for walrus. <laughs> 
So the charges are intimidating a victim in the third degree, menacing in the second degree, and stalking in the fourth degree. Ben Savage from Boy Meets World's older brother tells the judge that he fired his lawyer and will be representing his damn self. Mm-hmm. So the judge like hard rolls his eyes and asks him and Cabot the judge to like, approach. like, oh my God, come here, you guys. Yeah. So Michael and Cabot approach the bench and Cabot doesn't think he should defend himself. It's just another way to torture his victims. Mm-hmm. I could just... Because he's, he's going to be in their faces asking questions. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. And the judge is like, I'll allow it. Of course you will. I mean, he does have the right to defend himself. So it's like nothing it's stupid. <sighs> So Michael pleads not guilty. Cabot Mm -hmm. argues that he violated the order in the coffee shop and when he was walking his dog by Karen's apartment. But Michael says that those are just coincidences. We only Mm -hmm. live in a two block radius. All of us. How do we not cross paths constantly? Mm -hmm. The judge, a pile of rotting produce in a grocery bag in a robe. Yes. Rules that there were no violations because there's insufficient evidence. Yeah. Yeah. That's how Um, they do this shit. And Cabot's like, one coincidence I could probably buy, but two, like, get the fuck out of here, you creep. Come on, dude. This is New York City. New York City. Right. In the precinct, Cabot's reviewing everything with the whole squad. Michael will also be representing himself in the trial for the four rape charges. And Cabot's like, normally I'd consider this a win, but... And Stabler jumps up and goes, but Garter just handed you your ass in arraignment. (laughs) Why say that? Yeah. You're all on the same team. I didn't like it. But Cabot just goes, yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I didn't like that the judge fucking didn't see this whole thing. Yeah. And I also don't like that you're not supportive, but whatever. Let's (laughs) move on. She was like, I was hoping that the judge would see that those weren't coincidences, but he's a potato sack of an old white man. So... What, what do I expect? Mm-hmm. Benson is fucking hissed. She says that he didn't know where Karen even lived. And then he happens to be walking his dog by her house after getting this order of protection, which had her address on it. Okay. Uh-huh. Now he's using it as a map to re-traumatize his victims. She's like, next time we should just fucking drive him there. Munch spoke with those close to Michael and didn't get anything out of them that would suggest that he was a violent offender. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that ain't shit, though. Like, of course, that sounds very accurate. Everybody's going to be like, oh, he's so great. He could have never. He would never. I've known him for so long. I've never seen him sexually assault someone. Benny's going to call all of the victims to let them know that they'll have to deal with this fucking guy questioning them in court now. This is when I'm like, it's so weird that this is legal. And then some curly headed fuck bops in and serves Cabot a motion to sever the charges. Mm -hmm. And the way he goes, here you go. And he like breaks his neck, bobbing away. It's just, it's a really, um, like he's like, boom, I did my job. Fun choice. Yeah. He's in a peacoat and he's got a Fred Savage wig on. (laughs) (laughs) He does. All the men in this are curly. Toots and fucking Munch got a perm for this episode. (laughs) Everybody. Now we're at the motion hearing. Number Mm -hmm. three from Austin Powers, Goldmember, argues to the judge Lois Preston, the Reba of SVU, that in three out of the four cases, there was no evidence implicating him as a suspect. Do you remember that he was number three in Austin Powers? Who's number three in Austin Powers? Fred Savage. He was the guy with the mole. Oh, yeah. Cabot argues the proof found for the scene involving Carrie's assault and argues that the other evidence isn't needed when the MO matches the other scenes. So Mm -hmm. this dude wants to argue that there's no proof in Carrie's case either, but Cabot's like, dude, she positively ID'd you and her fingerprint was found at the scene. But as the two go back and forth, citing prior cases, the judge agrees with Michael's counter that the jury would be unfairly influenced in the other three crimes because of the evidence in one. And she's Mm -hmm. like, good job, sweetie. That's called bootstrapping and severs the three charges that have no evidence. 
So he's off the hook for those other three ones. They only have the carry stuff. It has happened like fucking breakneck fast. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Right. He's only going to be able to be up for the one charge. So Cabot and Benson are talking as everybody else is leaving the courtroom. Benny tells Cabot that she got a call from Bethany, the rape crisis counselor. Uh She told her that Carrie said she can't face her rapist again. Oh, my God. They need to convince Carrie because if they don't have Carrie, they don't have a case. You know. At Carrie's apartment, Benson and Bethany are chatting with Carrie, who is in another very cozy looking sweater. I didn't clock it in the beginning, but I noticed it. And now she's in like another one. Oh, her looks that she's bringing to this episode are embodying what I want fall to be right now. Today is mm-hmm. crispy as shit outside and I'm living I for know. it. I love it. Carrie argues that she wants to move on with her life and Bethany supports Carrie's decision. Bethany is a good counselor because she's just going to support whatever Carrie wants without pushing her. Mm. She'll give her information, but that's it. I just loved her. Yeah. And I totally get it. Like, I wouldn't want to see this guy either. Especially if he's going to be doing the questioning. It's just. It's bananas. The situation is so fucked. It's just like zero protection for the victims. So Benson's like, hey, Bethany, um, have you talked with Carrie about the positive things that could maybe come out of her testifying? Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, honk honk. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh I mean, I was, I was just gonna go. Oh, that's so funny. Bethany gets the hint <laughs> and tells Carrie that although the decision is hers at the end of the day, testifying can bring a sense of regaining her power and control. Mm-hmm. And Benson reassures her that even though this fuck is asking the questions, there are strict courtroom rules that he has to abide by. And I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. some bullshit. We've seen people really ride that line, but Cabot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> Benson also tells Carrie that she knows a lot of victims that are glad that they testified and even more who wished they had and couldn't do so because they waited until it was too late. Oh, that's a hard place for Carrie to be in. I know. So now we're at the trial. Carrie takes a stand and describes her assault and identifies Michael as her attacker. Now we're at the trial. Cabot is questioning Carrie. She describes her assault and identifies Michael as her attacker. Now it's Michael's turn to question. So he keeps referring to, quote, her attacker. And Carrie keeps saying, quote, you did this. Like, you were six inches from my face. Mm -hmm. Michael asks her why her attacker didn't notice that she had her eyes open a little if he was so close to her face. Then he asked if it was possible he was farther away. Cabot objects and says, a dude can ask the same question 20 different times and she's going to give the same answer because he just keeps going and writing on this whole thing, mm-hmm. right? The judge tells him to move on. Michael then asks, Michael then asks Carrie what she talked to her rape crisis counselor about. Uh, no. Obviously, that's an <laughs> objection. <laughs> Sustained by the judge, obviously. Right. And he doesn't have any other questions. Pans over to his wife and she does not look happy. I kept pointing her out because I'm like, she's going to fucking murder his ass. Yeah, I was like, she's why do you keep pointing this bitch? <laughs> I don't know why I'm mad at her because he's got her fooled too. Shut up, Tasha. Right. Benson takes a stand and reviews the night of his arrest and the supporting evidence. Michael questions Benson and asks why she didn't question him when they arrested him. He kind of is making it seem like she might have a personal stake in him getting prosecuted because he punched her. Mm-hmm. Then he asks her if she was embarrassed. He eluded her grasp in front of her colleagues and she's like, she's like, I don't have a personal stake in you. It's not uncommon for a perpetrator to lose control of themselves. And then she laughs and says, and I've certainly been hit much harder. You pussy. <laughs> yeah, and then you can see Michael's face, and he didn't like that. He did not you know? like that. He's like, uh, I'll kill you. <laughs> because he tried to pull a little, like, <laughs> gotcha. And she's like, Yeah, I am Olivia fucking Benson. I am yeah. going to make your dick shrink up inside your body right now. <laughs> 
he then he makes it seem like Benson tainted the lineup ID because she was talking to Bethany. Remember in the beginning, like she talked to Bethany outside and was like telling her not to say anything. Mm-hmm. He's like, you all looked at me. I saw it. You saw me in handcuffs. And Bethany told Carrie, I saw you seeing me. No, <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. Benson's like, what? I saw oh, you no. see me seeing you see me. <laughs> You bitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you stupid bitch. Out in the hall, Benson and Cabot are fighting because Michael's doing a good job at it, making it look like the ID was tainted. Benson is angry because she knows she didn't do anything to persuade Carrie to ID Michael as a rapist. Cabot is angry because Benson didn't tell Cabot that she spoke with Bethany and then with Bethany and Carrie in the interview room. If the judge tosses Carrie's ID, this case is fucking fucked they have nothing they have nothing but also he's trying to corner the situation because benny's talking to bethany right and then bethany goes and talks to carrie bethany's the only one that can say what she talked to carrie about the the two people in this confidential conversation Mm -hmm. so this is the next step of what he's gonna try to pull out which is fucked up right so fucking bethany walks over to them and she's like uh hey guys i just got subpoenaed to testify on behalf of michael and they're all like bitch (laughs) yes in the judge's chamber cabin and michael are arguing about bethany's subpoena and the conversation she had with benson Cabot says that you can't fucking go through people's personal privileged stuff. Mm-hmm. People's personal privileged stuff. People's personal... <laughs> <laughs> you can't go through people's personal privileged stuff. Like, talks with counselors and fucking lawyers and shit. Right. Unless there's, like, some crazy fucking whatever. And Michael's like, well, this is a crazy fucking whatever because I don't have all the evidence against me. And that's not due process. Michael says he has the right to know if Benson described his appearance to Bethany so that she could help carry id him she's like what if what if she was like it's the guy in the fucking handcuffs or it's the guy from wonder years or whatever you know <laughs> the judge says that she will question bethany in her chambers and if it supports michael's argument bethany will testify in front of the jury outside of the judge's chambers cabot and benson wait for bethany bethany comes out and tells them she didn't say anything and i'm like oh fuck that looks so bad does it i thought it would look bad to the jury that she refused to say anything you know what i mean mm, see i was but then later i got i figured i was like okay well she's fucking actually kind of a badass yeah i was already like super super into her so i was like yes Right. As soon as the judge was like, I've got a solution. Bethany will tell me everything and then I'll decide. And it's like, mm, Bethany still doesn't want to share something that was told to her in confidence. But OK, we'll see where this yeah. goes. So the judge comes out and tells Olivia to arrest Bethany for contempt of court. Bethany's like, I don't want to. And she's like, do it or somebody else will. And she's like, oh, OK, come on, Bethany, let's go. <laughs> yeah, Bethany, you're arrested. I'm not going to cuff you, though. We're just going to hold hands. <laughs> At the precinct, Cabot and Benson enter this holding cell to talk to Bethany. She's like, I'm not going to break privilege for some fucking testimony. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bethany's like, I didn't tell Carrie about Michael before the lineup. And Benson says, Mm -hmm. okay, well, only the judge has to hear it. Okay. So she's going to have to either way because the judge called her to court. Right. You know what I mean? If it doesn't hold up Michael's argument, then no one else is going to have to hear any of the conversation. Bethany just says that she doesn't want to set a precedent of the expectation of privilege being broken, no matter who it's to, because then Mm -hmm. no one's going to trust counselors or report sexual assaults. And Cabot's like, so what's your plan to spend the rest of your life here? Which because she said that, I'm like, (laughs) I got to Google some shit. Mm -hmm. I read a little bit about this and some things said that contempt in New York can get you between 30 days and a year in jail from varying Mm. sources, uh, along with fines and shit. Bad bitch Bethany buttons up her blazer and says, I brought my toothbrush. 
I'll do the bid. And I was like, yes, you bitch. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, did they let you bring your toothbrush in there? I get it. I get it. It was just a thing you were saying. But yeah. Yeah. Michael's going to get off scot-free, though. So I'm like, (sighs) oh, this is like the suck. Benson's solution is to ask Carrie to waive privilege. Mm -hmm. And Cabot's like, cool, that's a good idea because privilege to Bethany would then stay intact and there's no precedent that's being Mm -hmm. set. And Bethany's like, I still hate it. Because you're fucking with a victim. Mm -hmm. She believes that Benson asking Carrie to waive privilege is Benny not doing her fucking job to protect the victim. She's like, this is Mm -hmm. our job and you're not doing your part. And it's going to cause like a bunch of damage to Carrie. Mm -hmm. But what else can they do? Oh, God. I know. At Carrie's apartment, Benny's asking her to waive her right to privacy so that Bethany can talk about the conversation. God, they're just constantly asking this woman for stuff. I know. And Carrie sucks. doesn't respond. As she gets pushed a little more, Carrie's like, okay, so I broke things off with my fiance because I didn't know when I would ever be fucking normal again. I don't sleep more than 20 minutes a night. I hate being alone. I hate being around people. I don't want to leave my fucking house because I'm afraid to see this piece of shit. I wish he would have just killed me. That's what she fucking said to Bethany that day. Yes. <laughs> That's what she said. And she was like, I was willing to be so open and vulnerable with Bethany because that woman swore that anything I shared with her was completely confidential. So Benny's like, dude, Carrie, I'm super sorry, but I I can't change what happened to you. I just want to prevent it from happening again to someone else. Yeah, there's nothing she can do to make things better for Carrie. It's not it's not fair to ask Carrie to do this, but it's like she doesn't fucking know what else to do. Yeah, and then she comes up as if a hologram and she's like, help us, Carrie Juan Kenobi you're our only hope no no, she's like you're there's nothing else we could do like if we don't have you we have nothing and this guy just fucking goes scot-free carrie Wan kenobi like everything is weighing on her there's so much on carrie's shoulders right now and she Mm -hmm. has to give another piece of herself for other people after so much of her was taken by someone yeah ugh in Bethany's holding cell, Carrie goes in with Benson. Carrie waived her rights and lets her know that it was her decision after Bethany makes this comment to Benson about making Carrie waive her rights. Mm-hmm. Bethany says she won't talk either way. She's like, I'm not fucking talking, dude. Carrie says it was her own dis- decision and it's already done. Remember, Bethany, you told me about the power thing. I'm taking my control back. This is how I'm accessing my control. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and Carrie doesn't want there to be a chance that Michael can get away with what he did. And then asks Bethany to please testify to the judge. In the trial, judge rules that Bethany's testimony wasn't relevant to Michael's argument of pre-trial identification and that due process wasn't violated. Uh-oh. Michael becomes <laughs> upset and tries to object to the judge. <laughs> he's like, he points, he's like, I object. She's like, you can't. She's like, that's my ruling, stupid. That's not what yeah. this is. He's like, this isn't fair. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry, you can't object. I, she's like, are you talking to somebody else behind me? I don't. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm the judge. Bye. Bye. <laughs> then she adjourns the court for the day. He didn't get his way one time and he like flips. Uh, him yelling objection was really him going, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. Mom. <laughs> right. Outside the courtroom, Benson and Cabot do a walk and talk. They're talking about what Michael may do in court and how fucking awesome it was that the judge ruled that way. Yeah. Bethany comes up. She's fucking pissed. She's been subpoenaed by another rapist to have the victim's records disclosed. She's like, yeah, I just wanted to tell you, Benson, because I think you'd be the perfect person to bully this victim into waiving her rights. She blames Benson. Six of her clients left counseling because they no longer trust Bethany. Uh, Oh, my God. And she's like, but you got your win. Who cares if it's at everyone else's expense? And fucking book. 
fucks and leaves them with their mouths just hanging open like mm-hmm. you guys knew that you were fucking with something now it's nighttime it's dark benny's sitting on the steps in front of stabler's house and nobody's there stabler pulls up in his car and benny's like dude what are you doing he's like kath and kids are at the opera la boheme pass yeah, He's- it's funny because Sabler's like, I don't like the opera, so I took the one chance I have to hang out with my family yeah. to see strippers and get groceries or whatever the fuck he well, said. I didn't you know? get that because... I didn't either. Yeah, he... She was like, yeah, it's your only night of being a bachelor and you get groceries. Like, he- groceries with strippers. And I was like, what? It's a grocery store with strippers. And I'm like, do strippers do their grocery shopping at night? What are... I don't understand what, what we're saying, a, but... Thing? Is this a queen's thing? I just skipped I, it. I didn't get from? that joke. If yeah. you get that joke, fill us in because I really thought hard about it and was like, Mm, not worth my time i now will pass you never see your fucking family and you're like we want to go to the opera as a family he's like gross (laughs) no he's like i'm gonna go buy chips and dip and watch rocky four in my underpants (laughs) anyway back to the fucking sidewalk benson is visibly upset he sits down with her because it's brother sister time he tells her that she's gotta let it go she did her fucking job mm-hmm. and benny goes over the entire scope and impact and everything she's spinning on of what she did and she doesn't think that it was worth it to ask carrie to waive her rights she thinks she made it worse mm-hmm. which she did but she had no other choice you know? stabler's like it wasn't worth it to you or them and benny's like this isn't about me stabler goes on to tell her that she's always identified with the victims he doesn't know if it's because she's a woman or what he's just a simple old dad trying to have a night in his recliner he doesn't get what she's so fucking worked up about regretful about i don't know reflective about actually looking at her actions and maybe how she Mm -hmm. could adjust them in the future if she doesn't like how it feels Mm -hmm. which makes her an awesome cop but also makes this job like super torture yeah stabler tells her that she can't go back and change things that have happened she's just in a defeated place and she's sad that the job never stops there's always more offenders there's always more Mm -hmm. rapists there's always more child molesters i can't imagine having those waves because that's fucking true she's like what's the fucking point dude and he's like i don't know maybe there isn't a point and i'm like give her those lays dude (laughs) yeah dude give give some of those ruffles (laughs) Stabler tells her that she could walk away, but Benson... Wait, you're talking about chips, right? Oh, yeah, dude. Okay, cool. cool. (laughs) I said ruffles, and I was like, I hope we're on the same page. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, when I say chips and dip, he's got a a bag of, like, the ruffled version, because those are the only ones to do Mm -hmm. it with, and Mm -hmm. Dean's French onion dip in that fucking bag. And he's like, I'm going to go in... I'm gonna. It's got the cheesy ones too. Oh yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go in. I'm gonna kick my feet up. Who knows? Maybe I'll watch Home Alone because I haven't seen it in a few years. She's like, I arrested that guy like three times. <laughs> <laughs> he sees Joe Pesci in the beginning, and he's like, That's not a regulation beat cop uniform. <laughs> Uh, can't take the man out of the job. Anyway, so Stabler tells her that she could walk away at any point, but Benny's all teary-eyed now, and she's like, no, I can't, and she leaves. And she mm-hmm. just needed to be heard, I think. Yep. At the end, of, she just like wanted to talk to someone she trusted that knew her and how she was in that job, and it was just like one of those mm-hmm. fucking hard moments. She proves that she can't for 20 more years, literally. <laughs> yeah. At the trial, Benny and Stabes walk into the courtroom. See, I, 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 I knew I wasn't going to like that i did this i'm like Stuart sanderson from the grinder didn't show up for court it, fucking michael fred savage he didn't show up for court but his backup 
Miss Rust, the defense attorney who was kind of just like helping him, she's there arguing with the judge. We have no proof that Mr. Gardner absconded, Your Honor. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. Cabot wants to continue without him as he gave up his right to be present. He knew he was supposed to be there and she's like, this can just move right along without him. And she's like, no, I mean, what if he got an accident or something? Like, (laughs) yeah. He didn't try to. Maybe he didn't try to. And the judge tells Russ to find out what happened to Michael. So Benny and Staves are like, us too. They book it out of the courtroom. At the precinct, the squad is all about trying to figure out where Michael went. He's not on any flight passenger list. His passport's expired, but you don't need that to drive into Canada. So they've alerted officers at the entry points to Canada. They're going to put Michael on the news that night for people to be on the lookout for him. Huang's mm-hmm. like, well, I think he's in town and I think he's going to be stalking somebody involved in the trial and everyone should stop and listen to Huang because he's always fucking right. Mm-hmm. Craigan tells Benson he wants her to be aware and he's like, this guy's got a hard on for you. And I'm like, can we say that a different way about a rapist, please? Yeah. Right? She's like, good. I hope he tries something. Oh my God. She's such a badass. <laughs> good. <laughs> Stabler gets a call. Oop, there's another attack and it matches this dude's M.O. At the crime scene, the victim was killed in an alleyway. Benny and Staves are doing a walk and talk with his B-cop. And he's like, a neighbor found her when she was taken out to garbage, but he didn't hear a thing. <laughs> so she has cuts on her face this time, as well as the same M.O., the assault patterns of the other victims. So is he like resorting to killing so no one can ID him? Or is this a copycat or what? Mm-hmm. In Coroner Warner's office, she says that the victim's name is Evelyn. She found traces of talc, so he may have worn latex gloves when he strangled the victim. The victim's hands have defensive wounds, so she could have woken up and fought back. There's no hair or fluids found on Evelyn, but Coroner Warner thinks that she fought back and he bit her arm and took a chunk out of her. Then he had to cut away the evidence, so there was no way to ID him. But he didn't cut deep enough. Coroner Warner found impressions from the bite in the muscle tissue and it matches Michael's dental records. This is totally Ted Bundy shit. This whole episode. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coroner Warner goes, no question. We've got the son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. Outside the courthouse. Outside the courthouse. Outside the courthouse, Benson and Stambler walk up with Miss Russ, Michael's lawyer lady. Mm-hmm. The detectives tell her that Michael isn't innocent and the case is about rape and murder, not mistaken identity. She's like, I don't know where he is, but if I hear from him, I'll fucking tell you. And she does seem concerned. In the precinct, the squad discusses Michael's whereabouts. They don't think he'll be with family and no one else has heard from him. They don't think his wife is hiding either because she's like, where is he? Mm-hmm. Which I was like, okay, I guess not look into that. Benson comes in with financial records the day before michael took out 5k at a check cashing place in the bronx so they go to the check cashing place and this fucking guy there they show him dude's photo and he goes yeah that's the richie rich he wanted to cash 20 grand i told him five was my limit so he wrote up a new check benny asked that that's just my same guy every guy in new york talks like this i don't know <laughs> benny asks him if the security cameras are recording and he's like in this kind of business <laughs> You better believe it, lady. Yeah, we're going to need those tapes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Benny and Stabes snatch up the tapes and take them over to Tarubin in the lab. We come in on him rolling the tapes back. Michael is clearly seen on the security tape from the check cashing place. The other camera that they have footage from shows him getting into a white Lexus SUV on the passenger side. But the view of the camera didn't catch the plates. Tarubin... Enhance 
enhance, enhances it. And we see Michael kiss the person driving the white SUV, but it doesn't seem to be his wife. Remember Carrie saw him get into a white truck? Yeah. In the beginning? Yeah. I thought for a second it was Carrie because of the hair, the flippy hair. Oh. But then I was like... But then you were like, wait, this was, this was 2003. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OMG, not his wife? In the precinct, the squad tries to find out who Michael was with in the SUV. <laughs> I, I I know I had to like put my finger up to the letters to make sure that I did it correctly when I when I just said SUV. <laughs> in this precinct, the squad tries to figure out who Michael was with in the SUV. There's nothing out of the ordinary in the phone records, but most of his calls from the for the previous and current months were to his lawyer. The records from four months ago also showed that he was calling his attorney. Reagan's like, why would he fucking need to talk to a criminal defense lawyer before he was even arrested? Oh my God. Benny looks up Miss Rust DMV registration. She has a fucking white Lexus SUV under her name. No! Are they fucking having an affair? What? Benson and Sandler go to find Rust. Outside the building, the white SUV is parked and the trunk is open. No one in the vehicle. The music gets all wild. Benson and Sandler go inside and knock on the apartment door. Their guns are drawn. They hear Rust tell them that the door is open, so they go in. Rust is on the couch facing, like she has her back to them. They ask where Michael is and she says, here. They tell her to put her hands up and she puts her hands up and they're all bloody and Michael is on the ground, not moving with a fucking knife in his back. Russ says she found the murder weapon in the car and he denied it. Benson tells Russ that if he attacked her, there was nothing else she could have done. She says, that's right, justifiable homicide if he attacked me. And I was like, what's going on? She could get away with it. Is she? If. Yeah. And then she does a bunch of winks and nudges and we're like, yeah, we get Mm -hmm. it. Carrie and Bethany go to fucking Corner Warner's lab. Carrie's like, I have to know this is over. Bethany asks benson how they got somebody to agree to let them see michael's body and benson's like they don't need to know yeah she uncovers a body it's michael <sighs> toy fucking yoda toyota thon get the feeling I thought for sure his wife was gonna do it are you disappointed mm. that was a twist i didn't see fucking coming at all the lawyer affair thing yeah that they threw the fuck in there though yeah don't be fucking mad at me okay what I'm just, I'm talking this to everybody. This is about me. <laughs> <laughs> this is about how problematic Gabe truly is. Um, <laughs> okay, so the perp in this episode, Gabe already touched on it. He was a charming rapist who plays dumb really well, stalks and rapes women, and then thinks he's too smart for a lawyer and represents himself. Yeah. And the teeth, the bite thing. But yes, yeah. it, we all know what that equals, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here going... Oh, my God, you can't throw a fucking hot dog without hitting a Ted Bundy podcast. Right. Right. So I don't want to do that. I don't I don't want to do the chaser on Ted Bundy. <laughs> Who's throwing hot dogs looking for podcasts? <laughs> but Tasha, you just did John Benet Ramsey. OK, I'm nothing if not inconsistent. So I don't I, I'm not going to do this about Ted Bundy. It's just an opinion. It's not a disclaimer. It's not anything. It's just like I don't want to talk about Ted Bundy because my my mom's not into true crime, but she knows all about Ted Bundy. Like that's how much information about him is out there. There's nothing new to know. But the one thing that I want to have on record saying is that Ted Bundy is not fucking hot. I, okay. Yes. I thank understand. You. I am so glad we're on the same page. I love you so much. Your fucking, your eyes too close to each other. Fucking weird ass head. Oh my God. Like, no. He looks like a fucking, 
sadistic shark-eyed Danny Tanner. I don't understand how anybody was like, oh, he's so fucking hot. Based on what? The scale of serial killers? Because fucking, I was going to say Ed Gein, but he's like, he was fine as well, you know. Um, like he was in the same That Danny category. Tanner thing was fucking spot on. And Thank I you. just fell in love with you all over again. Thank you so much. But like, am I right? Yes, I am fully correct. Yes. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I am. It's a hill I'm willing to die on. I am, I'll be holding your hand right there on that hill. If, if you are saying that Ted Bundy is hot, that is because it has been implanted into your mind. And if you really step back and take a moment and go, wait a second, would I talk to this guy at the bar? Mm. Okay. That is not to take away from any of his victims being charmed by him or whatever, because charm is different than somebody being physically attractive. Right. Okay. So the reason that I want to talk about something else is because it is currently relevant and Something that I don't think everybody knows. I think people kind of have maybe like an idea, but I want to lay it all out there. I want to talk about fucking Fred Savage. Okay. Who? <laughs> what? I literally know nothing about what Fred Savage has done, mm. but I know he did something. Okay, so I'm glad that we're here. And yeah, I feel like this is right up your alley to get super mad about. So let's do it. Cool. Fred Savage was born in Chicago on July 9th. Chicago. Chicago. Fuck you. Saying it weird. That's fine. Okay. I felt like I said it like Wisconsin-y. When he was a kid, his mom moved Fred, his brother Ben, and their sister Kala to California. He got his first role at 10, but got his wide notoriety after appearing in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Princess Bride, in 1987. The following year, he hit the jackpot as Kevin Arnold in The Wonder Years. Through this role, he became the youngest actor to receive two Golden Globe nominations and two Emmy nominations for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. He's been nominated a million times for different things. I mean, this is just the beginning of a very long career for him. The Wonder Years ended in 1993. Here is his first scandal. It was kept pretty quiet, but when Fred Savage was 16, he and 20-year-old Jason Hervey, the dude that played his douchey big brother, you know, Mm -hmm. were accused of sexual harassment by the show's former costume designer, Monique Long. Monique worked on the show on multiple occasions throughout 1991 and 92. In her lawsuit, she said that the two physically and verbally harassed her and it affected her ability to do her job. About Savage specifically, she said he, quote, constantly held her hand, asking her to have an affair and made sexual remarks. How well, old this was, was he? 16? 16. Ew. So what? this is 1993. Oh, wait. Allie Mills, Wonder Years' mom, showed her internalized misogyny in an interview with Yahoo in 2018. In 2018, she gives this interview. She blamed the lawsuit for the cancellation of the show and said it was, quote, completely ridiculous. When you keep up a certain amount of ratings, they keep the show going. But it was because of all that garbage. She went on to say that Fred Savage, quote, is like the least offensive, most wonderful, sweet human being that ever walked the face of the earth. We had a gag order on us, and I wanted to scream on television, this is ridiculous. I just thought it was a big joke, and it was going to blow over. It's a little bit like what's happening now. Some innocent people can get caught up in this stuff. It's very tricky. It was so not true. It was my dresser, and I don't care if she's listening. I probably shouldn't be telling this, but I don't care because it was so long ago, and it's got to be over now. I don't think that she would hear this. But if Allie Mills is listening, I don't care that you're listening. Your, you, your internalized misogyny is disgusting. The track record yeah. that I will go on to explain is so gross that by 2018, you're still fucking spouting this bullshit because you've never seen him do this shit. It's absolutely not true. You're embarrassing. Right. The lawsuit was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount, which 
Mills said some more bullshit about, quote, they bought her off, which really made me mad. That was incorrigible that the network did that. They should never have paid her off. They wanted to avoid a scandal or something, but it made them look guilty. You know, you don't pay someone off when there was no crime. You just fire the girl. Wow. She's currently 71 and hasn't done a system update since the 90s. This woman needs to either get rebooted or fucking get booted. Bye, bitch. Anyway. (laughs) Well, after this Yahoo article came out, Monique Long responded to Allie Mills and said, Mm -hmm. quote, what I will say at this time is that back then claiming sexual harassment was not popular nor acceptable in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Now, all these years later, the truth about the dark side of Hollywood and the rampant prevalence of sexual harassment in the industry is out. It's an issue of power and control and continues to be. People can say what they want, but the truth has always been public record in the complaint and all the documents and depositions filed with the courts. If anyone wants the truth of what happened, they can read it there. To this day, I stand by the truth in these documents. My only response is to Miss Mills's slander is that it proves exactly why women in the industry are forced to remain silent about sexual harassment. Boom. Yep. Correct. Fred Savage, after this, he's 16. Wonder Years gets canceled. He moves on with his career, getting many long-running roles in series, as well as becoming a respected director. One of his Mm -hmm. long-standing roles was on a show called The Grinder. Savage played a straight-laced Idaho lawyer working in his family's law firm, whose brother, Rob Lowe, played a lawyer on TV and then moved home to Boise to practice law, even though he wasn't even a real lawyer. It was a very funny show. I loved that show. Never even heard of it. It was so good. Like Rob Lowe's fictional show that he was on was called The Grinder. So he came into the family's law firm thinking he was going to like do law. And it was just very, he spoke very like uh, David Caruso. When was it? Um, When was it? Uh, Like 2010, 2009. Oh, the the waitress is in it. Yeah. Yeah. She plays Fred Savage's wife. Anyway, scandal number two came on the set. Was it only one season? Yeah. So it got renewed, but then... Like it, critics loved it, but it, it wasn't being watched. Like it didn't have the audience that yeah, I never it heard of should it. have had. Oh, so good. It was such a good Crazy. show. I need to stop jerking the show off, but it was really funny. Rob Lowe was so funny in it. It's, and he then is funny. Timothy Oliphant like replaces Rob Lowe on the show. And then there's like this little rivalry between Rob Lowe and Timothy Oliphant. It was just, it's good. Hmm. Anyway, scandal number two for Fred Savage came on the set of The Grinder. Costume designer Youngju Huang came forward in 2018 with a lawsuit against Savage and 20th Century Fox. The lawsuit charged assault, battery, gender discrimination, gender harassment, and more. In a statement she tearfully gave with her lawyer, Huang said, quote, from the outset of the show, Mr. Savage was aggressive toward me. He would routinely curse at me, yell at me, demean me, when all I was trying to do was my job. It became more and more stressful for me to go to work because I was scared of the abuse and what I would have to encounter on any given day. I'm not the only woman on set that Mr. Savage targeted. There were others, and this was well known on set. During a taping of an episode, I was attempting to brush dandruff off Mr. Savage's jacket, which kind of feels like a read, and I sort of love that she said it like that. Mr. Savage snapped. He yelled at me, told me not to touch him, and he hit my arm violently three times. I could not stop crying. I was in pain. I was humiliated, and I was scared. This was the last straw for me because now my physical safety was at risk. I immediately reported this incident to my superiors, and rather 
rather than taking action against Mr. Savage, they encouraged me to not report Mr. Savage's conduct because a lot of people would lose their jobs and I would never work in this industry again. My complaints were ignored, the violence perpetrated against me was ignored, and I was made to feel as if I had done something wrong, that I was to blame, and that I should just keep my mouth shut. It took everything I had in me to be here today and to speak out. I was inspired by the Me Too movement and the women before me, and I'm here, hopefully, to encourage other women to come forward and speak their truth. Hmm. So Fred Savage publicly responded to her statement, calling it unfounded, saying he was so disappointed because he was a huge supporter of the Me Too movement. One of the things that he said that really bugged me, that really grinded my fucking gears, that really grindered my gears, Mm -hmm. was that... Waiting for something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Was that he's like, someone came forward with accusations that happened on a show that I did many years ago, as if to discredit her by saying she waited to come forward, which is gross. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he gave this big, long thing, and he was like, you know, this accusation is harmful to the message of thousands of women and others who have suffered and continue to suffer. He's very much touted himself as, you know, a supporter of women and the women's movement and Me Too and all that shit. Fox claimed to have investigated the accusations extensively and found no evidence of wrongdoings. So that's number two. Are we done? Nope. Also, over the years, Savage directed multiple episodes of series like Party Down. Ugh, I just rewatched that and it's so fucking, I fucking good. I love that show. Always Sunny, Two Broke Girls, Modern Family, The Connors, 60-something other directing credits. Like he's done a bunch of directing for really cool shows. He was also brought on as an executive producer and director for the reboot of The Wonder Years just last year in 2021. Mm -hmm. On the surface, cast and crew called Savage a supportive and charismatic colleague. In front of execs, his behavior was pristine. He acted very differently, though, with, quote, below-the-line employees who don't have power. By the ninth episode, six female crew members had decided to band together and take action against what they had witnessed and experienced with the director. They turned in a formal complaint to Disney, who was the company that they were working for, obviously, Mm -hmm. and spoke to an HR executive that same day. Disney doesn't fuck around. Right. And by May 6th of 2022, he was fired. (gasps) That was three days after my birthday. Oh, my God. (laughs) So at first, when Fred Savage was fired, it was announced that there were verified complaints of misconduct Mm -hmm. and they were just going to leave it at that. But the ladies were like, not good enough. Right. And they gave an interview to The Hollywood Reporter detailing the reasons for their report, which I'm really fucking glad that they did because he has been doing this shit his entire career Mm -hmm. and has never truly been held accountable. The biggest concern by these women who reported Savage was the harmful relationship with a very young crew member. So while he was working on the new Wonder Years, filming on location in Cabbage Town, Atlanta, Mm -hmm. cast and crew said he would have parties at bars or the cottage that he was living in and invite everyone. Yeah. By this point, he's 46, married with three kids at the time. He's got this gal, much younger crew member, moved in with him. She's having a consensual affair, dirtbaggy, yeah, criminal, no, Yeah. at this point. Not long into it, this young woman would share with other crew members, slash her friends at work, that he became manipulative, erratic, and controlling. One of the complainants said that she began receiving his abuse when she tried to protect the young woman from Savage. So on set, this woman kind of stepped in when he was being abusive to this young woman who he was in a relationship with. So this person who stepped in got scared because he wasn't going to let her do that. He started pulling her aside multiple times and he would verbally harass her. And she said that when he did that, his, quote, eyes would go dead. And then he flips a switch and he's Fred Savage. Mm. 
which is like disturbing to hear. And the outcome of this relationship that this young woman was having with him was very apparent to those surrounding it. Everyone said that she had changed dramatically over this dark relationship with Savage. She became subdued and lost her bubbly nature. At the same time, there was also another woman on set that received a lot of attention from him. She was in her early 30s. She felt that he was a friend, mentor, brotherly figure. She was an aspiring comedian and writer, so he helped her a lot with advancing her career. He attended her shows and gave her some writing gigs. Mm -hmm. They'd go to dinner. There were times that he bought her expensive gifts, but she never accepted any of them as to not give him the wrong idea. And even if she did, so fucking what, though? Right. Right? Even if she did. If he gave her a gift and she wanted to accept it, she doesn't owe him a blowjob. You know what I mean? Right. Through another exec, she was fired from the Wonder Years reboot and was so upset, but continued her... He had nothing to do with her firing. Um, and she continued her friendship with Fred as he encouraged her, saying that it was the beginning of her career and she needed to move to LA and follow her dreams. So she just really viewed their relationship as a close friendship. Even though she wasn't on the show anymore, Fred invited her to one of his parties that he often threw. Mm -hmm. It was at 97 Astoria, a bar near Fred's place in Cabbage Town. Cabbage Patch. Cabbage Patch. Yeah, that's what I was Cabbage thinking. Cabbage Patch, Atlanta. This woman went and was having fun with everyone when she left to go to the restroom. When she came out of the stall, Fred was there. She said, quote, I started laughing like, what are you doing? This is a woman's bathroom. He then walked up to her with, quote, dead eyes and pushed her against the wall. She begged him to stop. She knew in that moment their friendship would be over. Quote, I was pleading not from fear so much, but this was no going back. He put his mouth on mine very forcefully. He went for the top of my pants and I brushed him away. Then he put his mouth on mine again, grabbed my hand and pulled it on his groin area. I was pulling back. He stopped very angrily. I shoulder checked him so I could get out. Dang. Fred left with a young woman he was still seeing at the time and texted later that night for this other woman to meet him at his house right away. And she was like, no. She ignored his calls and texts for weeks and he continued to insist she meet with him. Mm -hmm. She has since publicly shared a voicemail that she received from him after weeks of not speaking with him. He said, quote, it's your old friend, Fred. We worked together for a while and then we didn't. And then I was a huge asshole, a huge asshole. And I'm really sorry. And I've kind of owed you an apology for a minute here. And so the truth is, I really like you and I really want to be friends. And I'm sorry that I fucked that up. And she didn't reply. In the end, the women that came forward had this to say, quote, we all felt supported by Fred. We truly thought he supported women. He told us he supported women, but this kind of support isn't real. So again, I say, fuck Fred Savage. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, the most up-to-date thing is he's lost his directing gig. Well, thoughts? He comes off like this, like, sweet little, like, you know, like, even in the cover of the Grinder thing, he's, like, doing this whole thing, like, like, mm -hmm. I'm yeah, just a quirky little fun guy. Yeah. Follows the rules, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you drew me as a cartoon, I would look exactly the same. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know any of that stuff. I guess I how do I? Mm -hmm. How did I not know any of that? Shut up. What? Oh. What? Because you always say that. I thought you were joking. You're like, how did I not know any of that stuff? Oh. <laughs> the last thing he was in as an actor was in 2022. He was in two episodes of a show called The After Party. Mm -hmm. The last thing that he was directing was uh, the Wonder Years, the Wonder Years reboot, which is too mm. bad. Like, why do all these reboots have to be tainted with the fucking taints from the first iteration of it? Like, Fred Savage ruined the fucking Wonder Years reboot. Racist ass Roseanne ruined the ruined, Roseanne reboot. Yes. I mean, thankfully yeah. they were able to recover. Were they? I don't know. I haven't watched it since you left. 
Yeah. I don't know. I haven't watched it either. I'm surprised you haven't. Actually, I'm not because like you watched a show when you were young. Big deal. Like I tried to watch Fuller House and I was like, oh, this is fucking cheese dicks. And I was like, oh, wait, this is exactly like Full House was. I just loved it when I was seven. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, fuck. That's it. Next week, we got season four, episode 23, Grief. A rape victim is found dead outside of a bar. Her dad decides to take justice into his own hands. Fuck, this is going to suck. These little middies. Like, no, dad, you're going to go to prison forever. Oh, my God. Is this going to be like, oh, I think I know the chaser I'm going to do for that. Okay. I have to watch it first. And that, yeah. Mm. Okay. Rate and review us. Toss us a couple stars. What did you revive? Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us anything you want that's not weird at P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Check out our Instagram at svupod and join the Facebook group, svupod elite squad. It's my favorite thing in the whole fucking world. If I was like, choose our friendship or the Facebook group, what would you do? i go, bye, bitch. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, ouch. <laughs> it wouldn't exist without us. Have fun thinking about saying that to me at three o'clock this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Also, hashtag a little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. If you are a little indie pod, start using the hashtag little bit loud and people that search it can find you. Mm-hmm. And we can all be affiliated with each other and join the Patreon. We got all kinds of good stuff. Garbage cookies, friendship boats. We're having an event on the 28th soon. More to come on that. Of, oh my God, we're having October. a little event. Fly yeah. in, Australians. <laughs> yes. Aussies. They're like, no. No. All right. Well, okay. Love you. Uh, Love you. Bye. bye. (laughs) Munch spoke with. Don't have to fake laugh at that. That's fine. Yeah, I don't. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. For real? No. Shut the fuck up, dude. Wow. Sorry. (laughs) Jeez. I just snapped. That that was from my. That came from my back. Okay. That's my back talking. Um, me feeling this way is coming from my childhood, so that's fine. I guess we're even. Okay. <laughs> I love my kids. I love my job. <laughs> from her show. Yep. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Hey, everybody. Everybody. <laughs> What's that from? Um, didn't they sing that in a fucking Sister Act 2? Oh. Huh. It's a song. <laughs> Is that design? <laughs> okay. To our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Sky K, Marissa M, Alki H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Ooyaga. Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire. Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah, Emily A, Angela D, Mac Attack, Mac, 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 Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Cassandra S, Kaylin B, Camilla Z, and Nisha G. 